That's me on the podcast Sharing a song With something to say about it With Thin Lear And Niagara Moon Losing my opinion I had a wicked headache a few days ago And that song, Cruel to be Kind Just echoing in my head all afternoon cool to be kind it's a very good sign like both the main melody and the cor- the harmony part and baby <laughs> got to be cool i think that's a good way to open the podcast to talk about how the song cruel to be kind is so catchy for you that it's essentially driven you to nervous breakdown <laughs> yeah it's like some form of torture very pleasant torture um well speaking of cruel Speaking of cruel, I have I have a particularly a subject that I think people are not going to want to hear about today. Um, oh boy! Which you know I think is good. To, it's a good way to get listeners, right? It's a good way to keep listeners is to give them things that they don't want to hear about or listen to. And I think I'm very good at that. I feel. What are we on the Joe Rogan podcast? <laughs> Well, I think a lot of people want to listen to what what that dude has to say, unfortunately. Um, but anyway. I miss the days where you just have Doug Stanhope on taking mushrooms and they uh-huh. just talk about silly shit. And none it's of it had medical consequences. Not, not so silly anymore. Um, so today yeah. I'm going to talk about, I guess I'll go first. I mean, we didn't talk about who should go first, but I'm just sort of volunteering myself yep. to go first. As tribute. Uh, and I, almost as if it's tribute and, and to kind of get it out of the way. Because I, I feel as if people may skip to your section as soon as they hear what I'm talking about. Uh, but we're oh going to talk about a, a, a genre of music today that is much hated. Uh, and I think perhaps unfairly maligned and just like minimized in its complexity mm-hmm. uh, due to some pretty rough... And, and, you know, I, I can say terrible uh, versions of it that have, have risen to the top. Um, and now, Thomas, I'm not sure if you hate this oh genre. I feel like you probably do just based on the okay. rest of your taste. But I might, I might be wrong. Um, so I'll start this off with a quote from one of my heroes. New metal. <laughs> it's not new metal. No. That's actually it, – it's a lot better than new metal, I feel. Uh, okay. So David Bowie himself said that the only music he didn't listen to, and this is coming from, you know, King, King Chameleon, right? The only music he didn't listen to was country and Western. Uh, he didn't feel like there was anything he could take from country. Um, oh. And I can kind of see that because, you know, musically the songs tend to be platforms for lyrics. So, you know, as a genre, it doesn't really stray too far from certain like sonic mm. templates and chord patterns and things like that. Uh, but, those templates do provide a platform for an abundance of words. Storytelling. Storytelling, exactly. Um, and I know that you and anyone listening to this is thrilled to hear that. Uh, what are your feelings about country as a genre, just before we get into this? Well, I've adapted the hipster opinion, what I believe to be a common hipster opinion at that point, that country was cool up until the late 70s, man. Uh, okay. I think it's cool to like Johnny Cash, and I've had an argument with a drunk Australian. He insisted that Johnny Cash was not country. I'm like, you're so annoying. What? That's ridiculous. 
he tra- he transcends the genre the way all truly amazing artists do, but it doesn't mean that he's not you know at his at his foundation country. It, I don't think it's difficult to argue that country music as a as a genre presents us with story songs, and it's you know sort of unique in that yeah. way. Uh, but there's a misconception based on, let's say, more modern country or what has risen to the top um, in the past couple of decades that lyrically, despite the storytelling reputation that you're talking about, that the stories themselves are really basic uh, or the same thing over and over again. You know, my woman left me, my yeah. man left me, I'm hurting, I hit the bottle. Take this job and shove it. Or take this job and shove it. Or I'm riding it, this, you know, I love my truck or whatever. Or freedom ain't free. Freedom and free. That's a particularly rough example. Uh, I'd like to argue today that country as a genre presents us with some of the most sophisticated sets of lyrics and lyrical turns of phrase in any genre. Okay? All right. Is it a bold enough claim? Um, well, I have a just a quick little other question is, uh, are you a fan of Sturgill Simpson? I do. Yeah, I am, I am a fan. I do really like I feel like, like him. he's the one guy people like to point out as like, see, country can be good. I like him. <laughs> he's a great example of, of modern, excellent yeah. country music. He's great. Yeah. And great lyrics. Other than that, I got yeah. nothing. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, well, we're, we're going back in time a little bit here. All right. All right. Uh, so, for starters, I'm going to present you with a set of lyrics that have really haunted me since I first heard them. Um, this tune opens up with a fellow stumbling out on a Sunday morning. He's beat up from the night before. Uh, now, you might say, Matt, how the hell is that different from the tropes you were just talking about? <laughs> and I'd say, well, just hold your horses for a second and uh, listen. So now let's click on the YouTube party link, the Got first one. Get it open. All right. Okay, so we're, we're going to listen partway in, and we're going to listen to um, a, a verse and a chorus. All right. Lay it on me. In the park I saw a daddy. With a laughing little girl who he was swinging And I stopped beside a Sunday school And listened to the song that they were singing Then I headed back for home And somewhere far away a lonely bell was ringing And it echoed through the canyons Like the disappearing dreams of yesterday On the Sunday morning sidewalk Wishing, Lord, that I was stoned Cause there's something in a Sunday Makes a body Alone, and there's nothing short of dying, half as lonesome as it sounds on the sleeping city sidewalks. Sunday morning coming down. Okay, so. Uh, that's incredible. Uh, I love it. Thomas, you said you are familiar with the song. Well, like I said, I'm a little familiar with Johnny Cash, who is not country, according to somebody. But uh, Johnny Cash does a cover of this song. Uh, 
and I love Johnny Cash's rendition, but now I'm thinking, oh, Chris Christopherson has got the goods. I, I think I knew in the back of my mind that it was a Chris Christopherson song, but I never really mm-hmm. heard much by the man. Uh, yeah, this is sure. awesome. This is, it's awesome. This is a great song. Like, what a brilliant just, oh, I'm a piece of shit song. Like, just the, <laughs> the perfect <laughs> distillation of just feeling like a gross dude, lonely. Uh-huh. The the morning after you did some stupid shit, you know, it, it's one of the best "I'm a piece of shit" songs ever written, probably. Uh, and admittedly, it's it's you know it's, this is not super far from somebody left me and I'm hurting, and yet it's also a million miles it's away deeper. from it. The more you listen, yeah, it's 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 the pit of self, as Mark Maron says. It's mm-hmm. you're it's so just I am alone in the universe, feeling. You know I. Yeah, I, I heard um, he, he's definitely not country, this artist, but uh, Bonnie Prince Billy, I heard talk about that once um, where he was talking about how sad or haunting lyrics and songs are kind of like a vaccine for real darkness. Mm. Um, and I and I get that from country music. That's, that's part of what it adds to my life. Like it's like a controlled version of real anxiety or depression or whatever it is. Mm. And you live it vicariously through the songwriter in a, in a little dose and it's prepared me for it in my own life, you know, as much as it can. Wow. And I feel like as a genre, it, it really, it, it, it serves that purpose in my life. Um, in this song, you know, like there's just this existential dread in it. That's difficult to shake once you connect to it. Yeah. Once um, you really listen, you know, that chorus on the Sunday morning sidewalk, wishing Lord that I was stoned, because there's something in a Sunday yeah. that makes a body feel alone. And then this just is, kills me. There ain't nothing short of dying, half as lonesome as the sound on the sleeping city sidewalk, Sunday morning coming down. Like, yeah. It, it's just, uh, it sends a shiver down the spine, and it's broad enough where anybody could feel it hit them in the chest, but still also specific enough where you could connect that sort of looming sinking feeling to anything that's going on in your life yeah uh, that w- the weight of a sunday the sunday uh, scaries so the, the sunday scaries he should have named the song that instead so now you know you might say well matt you chose chris christopherson for your first example like that's kind of bullshit um you know he's widely known as an Great amazing artist. lyricist yeah and particularly as a lyricist and you know what if what if he just transcends the genre um but i'm going to give you a song now that right. is startlingly complex in its scope, especially considering when it was written. Um, So this next song came out in 1959, if you can believe it. Uh, It was written by Mary John Wilkin and Danny Dill, a pair of songwriters, and originally recorded by an artist named Lefty Frizzell before Johnny Cash had a hit with it again. Um, You know, he also had a hit, like he said, with Sunday Morning Coming Down, and he just really knew how to pick him, Johnny. Uh, now, this song is squarely in the realm of the murder ballad tradition, Aha. Uh, but there's a twist, there's a little twist to it, and I want you to really think about what else was happening in other genres, because we're talking about country as a genre being unfairly maligned as lyrically, you know, not elaborate or complex. What, what else was happening in 59? You had Mac the Knife, you had Dream Lover, Mr. Blue, I Only Have Eyes for You. A year later, you, know, you so- have the twist. Yeah, that's right. Going back to a previous episode or a future episode, depending on how we're doing this. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not a, 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 a particularly uh, lyrically amazing time. 
Uh, so to set the stage here, the song opens with the narrator talking about how he was arrested for murder, wrongfully, it's implied, so they execute him. But the guy's lover watches in the crowd as he's executed uh, and then comes to visit his grave. Okay, here we go. The scaffold's high and eternity near She stood in the crowd and shed not a tear but sometimes at night When the cold wind moans In a long black veil She cries for my bones Bill Nilsson-esque <laughs> She walks these hills In a long black veil She visits my grave when the night winds wail Nobody knows Nobody sees Nobody knows But me Nobody knows So, I mean, definitely it's not as complex um, as the last song we were listening to. But, I mean, think about the time that it came out. It's How much is that doggy in the window, right? <laughs> that was a big hit. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, this is what it's sort of competing with. Um, it just it stands out as particularly complex. I mean, it's, it's a – the song is from the perspective of a ghost, and you don't get that from the song until, you know, three-quarters of the way through. And then you have this ghost that's singing about, you know, his, his widow that's visiting him. Uh, it's moving and it's it's dark and it's it's uh, complicated and uh, it's just it's hard to find a song from that year that that matches it, um, which is the level of poeticism that that you're hearing here. What do you th- have you heard this one before? Have you heard this tune? I mean, Long Black Veil is I'm like a pretty, wondering it's like now a standard. if I also heard the Johnny Cash cover of this, mm-hmm. although this is more different probably than what Johnny Cash was able to sing. This guy's got more of a range. So I feel like musically it was probably delivered differently. So I, I feel like I'm hearing this fresh for the first time. In this era, who really did pathos like these these country artists? Well, I think the best, and I didn't bring him to the table because, uh, you know, I think that he he sits squarely in some of those, he uses a lot of those tropes that we're talking about, you know, of, of, you know my woman left me and I'm, I'm hurting but he does it in a way that is just beyond special, and it's Hank Williams. But I didn't bring him today because I felt, um, you know, that I wanted to get away from that that style that we were talking about, or that that particular subject matter we were talking about. Right. Um, but I, I I feel, and this might be a harder argument, but I feel that that is just as special as these lyrics because um, some of it also has to do with how vulnerable uh, the voices mm-hmm. when he's singing it I, I think with some of his lyrics if you were to just like look at um you know uh, um, cold cold heart or something like that if you were to look at that on the page or i'm so lonesome i could cry i mean like jesus like those those songs are moving ho- however you get them then there are other ones where um you know like love sick blues or something like that where it, it really you have to hear him singing it yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's it's, it's uh it, it can come with um have the same impact without his voice. But um, yeah, I mean, they, they call him Hillbilly Shakespeare for, for a reason. Uh, but now I want to end with a tune. Okay. It's not Hank Williams. Uh, I want to present you with this set of lyrics that just really, 
really mess me up. It's get you every get, time huh? I, I hear them. It really just gets me. It, it it hurts me. And I was I was just I was driving back from uh, the studio today with my wife like an hour ago. Um, and I was I was playing this for her and like usually I'll play her songs that we're about to talk about on the uh, podcast and yeah. sometimes her reaction is like what is this crap <laughs> um, for this song she was just tears running down her face and you know she's sort of my um, like a litmus litmus test for uh, <laughs> some of these songs that I'm about to talk about so uh, that's sort of it was it's good to see that it got her in the same way so this is a a Dolly Parton tune. And she is uh, remembering her childhood in this one, growing up poor, um, and her mother uh, sewing together a coat out of rags that they've been given. Um, so we're coming in like maybe partway through the song, and, and she's about to take this <laughs> coat that she's wearing to her school. So with patches on my britches and holes in both my shoes in my coat of many colors, I hurried off to school just to find the others laughing and making fun of me and my coat of many colors my mama made for me. And oh, I couldn't understand it, for I felt I was rich. And I told him all the love my mama sewed in every stitch. And I told him all the story. Mama told me why she sewed and how my coat of many colors was worth more than all their clothes. But they didn't understand it and I tried to make them see that one is only poor, only if they choose to be. Now I know we had no money, but I was rich as I could be in my coat colors my mama made for me made just for me yeah poetry so, I, I, mean, I, I have tears in my eyes now and I, was, I listened to it like six times to write this piece i don't know if that needs much of an explanation just beyond that dolly's the best uh <laughs> this dude just always makes me emotional and it, it, this this is a genre that um I, I just think that there's a, a sort of an unfair um, perception of it because um, how rough it is at, at the top right now. And, and it's been that way for a while. And yeah, you have people like Sturgill and um, Jason know, Isbell. I know people, a lot Jason of people Isbell, like him. Isbell, Margot Price. Yeah. Um, oh, you know, yeah. They're, I mean, they're, they're, there's plenty <laughs> once you start there's digging. Plenty. It's just that what is the loudest and I think that what's the loudest has really changed people's perception of this music. But you can see from early on, it was always about the lyrics and, um, you know, the, the, the instrumentation and the chord patterns and the, the, the room to breathe in the music was made for, it was designed for storytelling. Um, so fables. I, 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 that's, yes, yeah, fables. So how, have I convinced you that country is unfairly maligned as a lyrically hollow or repetitive genre? Well, here's... The core problem, which I alluded to earlier, so uh, things got dark <laughs> after the 80s in terms of <laughs> like uh, your perception of, okay, what's country? Well, lo- let me look at the top 10 in country. And there became a certain point, well, I don't know what the year is, I didn't follow closely, but you know, became homogenous. It all sounded the same. It all it was very, very image driven. And uh, Bo Burnham has that brilliant song, Pandering. 
Yes, yeah. So it just, at some point, it became something it was not before. A lot of other kind of just crappy pop you'll hear on the radio, but with a twang and, you know, pandering lyrics, and it's like, okay, who gives a crap? But you dig back a little bit, or you listen to Sturgill Simpson, Jason Isbell. You know, it's good country has always existed. I think it's making a comeback. But, I mean, you didn't need to convince me, man. I, I knew something was going on, you know, 50 years ago with the genre. I uh, I do like these songs a lot that you've shown today, and... It's it real. I think we got to the core of it. It's it's fables. It's it's the perfect way to just you can tell a personal story and like explore really big themes at the same time. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the other elements musically, like okay, what are the chords going to do? What are the expectations for like the arrangement and the rhythm? It's a lot of it's very just kind of set in stone. It's very kind of sure. Yeah, the storytelling is what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah, so I so I've sort of have didn't need to convince you, and then it sounds like you're also saying, well, it's been a it's been a long time <laughs> since <laughs> since the the genre has been used in this way, and I wouldn't disagree with that, um, but I think that the you know there's a lot of gold there, like there's there's more gold than I think people are aware of who have that knee jerk reaction, yeah. Um, you know, like Bowie did, of like this is useless. Yeah. Oh, what what was up with him and saying that? Because he's a musicologist kind of guy. He would know to. He is. He would know how to find the Willie Nelsons and the Waylon Jennings. I don't, and the, he, I don't know why he said that. I mean, he he said and he made a point of it. He he said it a bunch. Like he said it in a bunch of different interviews to say I have no use for country music, um, and I don't know why. I mean, I think lyrically he got a lot from Dylan at the start of his career. He was into Dylan. He wrote a song for him on yeah. Hunky Dory. And who was Dylan um, inspired by? Hello. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I, um, I guess I, 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 can, I can understand if you can't get past the twang. Maybe. If, if you can't deal with the twang, I get it. You know? He's also into Sonics, like big time into, into Sonics. Right. And, um, I don't think They're that not that, about that. No, it's less. It was more about what we're talking about today, which is providing a a foundation for a tale. Um, so yeah, he's not going to necessarily gravitate towards yeah. uh, those kind of arrangements. Well, he's missing out a little bit. Yeah, he missed. Somebody out. should tell him. Yeah, somebody should tell him that. Yeah. All right, Thomas, what do you what do you have for me today? Well, I'm handing you a uh, pair of goggles and a lab coat. Because we're going to conduct a bit of an experiment today. Sounds dangerous. Could be. Um, I have not listened to the song I'm going to show you today, but there's a reason what? for that, and we'll 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 get into it. There's I got a whole okay. spiel here. I think I want to open things up with a quote: "Take the band Yes, remove all of their positive qualities, and there remains ELP." I'm talking about wow. the law offices of Emerson, Lake, and Palmer today. <laughs> oh my God, Thomas, uh, you, you, you're sending me into the week wrong here. <laughs> you're sending me off on a bad note, but okay, continue. Yeah. Uh, so Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, for those who are unaware, uh, one of the most successful progressive rock groups of the '70s. Oh boy, do I have a bone to pick. With Emerson, Lincoln, Palmer. I've been listening to them in and out throughout the whole week, just trying to kind of catch up on them, remember their sound. I, I dipped my toe in the waters back when I was a preteen because I was getting interested in progressive rock. You know, hey, I like Yes a lot. I talked about them mm-hmm. 
uh, ad nauseum on my previous podcast. I like, you know, I can get into Genesis. I'm, I'm not averse to progressive rock. Sure. Uh, King Crimson. King Crimson. Yeah. yeah. Uh, gr- Gentle Giant. Gentle Giant I'm not aware of, but uh, <laughs> I mean, there, there's tons. But generally, I can dig it. Greg Lake, uh, I like what he was doing in King Crimson. Something about these three guys, and I think it's, I think it's Keith Emerson. Uh, well, I'll cut myself off there for a little bit. Are you familiar with ELP that much? Okay, so my I have one like very uh, nausea-inducing memory of them. I was working at a deli, um, and there was we would have on the classic rock station Q one hundred four three. Okay, for anyone who is in the tri-state area knows that station. Their playlist is like 20 songs long and they have all of music history to choose from. And yet they'll play like, you know, the same two Led Zeppelin songs. But anyway, there's a, there's a ELP song that they've worked into their rotation called, I think it's like Carnival 9 or uh, some ridiculous Step title. inside, step inside. Is it one yeah, of, yeah, oh man. And it, it opens up and it just, it made me want to shut It's like one of the my, worst ones. You want to shut my head in the freezer door of the deli. <laughs> uh, and it just would go, they'd play it twice a day. And it's such a long, <laughs> stupid song uh, with a stupid story. Uh, and I, I hated it. So that's what I know about ELP. And it, and it convinced me to not explore them uh, when I was on my prog kick. Uh, but aren't you just blown away by the keyboard technique? He's so virtuosic. Uh, I'm not going to deny that, but it didn't make me want to listen to another one of their songs. It's so good. God. Yeah. I, maybe we'll be able to pinpoint sometime this evening. What about the three of them is so, so, uh, distasteful, but, um, it kind of reminded me to, so <laughs> yeah. not, not to interrupt, but it kind of reminded me of like, like a conceptually, like some Sergeant Pepper kind of thing. But like if Paul McCartney was concussed before he wrote, <laughs> Before you wrote Sgt. Pepper's, like maybe it would have sounded like this. I think it's, they're all, the three members, it's just, it's a power trio. Oh boy, is it ever. They are all super gifted technically, and they use their powers for evil. Uh, I think the main offender is, is Keith Emerson on the keyboards. Um, I started my journey recently, and it's been a shitty week because of it, but I started my journey with uh, one of their bigger songs, Oh Lucky Man, or whatever it's called, Just Lucky Man, something. I was kind of into oh, it. Oh, okay. You know, that song is not a bad not song. Not bad. It, you know, it it's not bad. <laughs> it's got some smooth harmonies, you know, just a gentle, breezy style, decent melody, whatever lyrics. It ends with like a minute-long uh, Moog synthesizer solo, and then I'm like, oh, right. Yeah, I forgot about that. It's so, so whittly, so wanky. I'm a man of keyboard solos. I Half the time I'm working on music, I'm putting little, I, I own two analog synthesizers. I enjoy putting little synth parts into my music. I'm a fan of a lot of other artists that do that. I love the synths on Maxwell's Silver Hammer, but something about Emerson, when his fingers get on those keys, it's so... So look at me, aren't I amazing? Aren't I blowing your mind? I can do all the music. It's so, it's it's such, I think it's the ego. I think that's the problem. 
Okay. You know we're going to get shredded here by a, a ton of ELP fans that are... Are we? Do they know how to listen to podcasts? Crap. Uh, Don't they all maybe. own flip phones? They might. They oh, you're doubling down on that. You're digging your heels in here. I, like I said, I really tried with them a whole week. Okay, I'll play some of Tarkus. I'll play some of the one with the stupid skulls on the cover. Works, works, we'll get into works in a little bit. Works, volume one, volume two. This is where it got really hairy. But, okay, I said we're going to do an experiment. Yeah, yeah, we could bash ELP to the end of time. I'm not a fan. Uh, they're like Spinal Tap without the jokes. But I want to talk about a particular album of theirs, and that's what we're going to listen to today. We're going to talk about an album called Love Beach from 1978. Love Beach. Okay. Uh, I mean, that's, a, that's a great title. <laughs> um, this is the last album that they recorded before they had a long hiatus. You know, it was essentially the end of their, their run of studio albums in the 70s. Um, the band themselves hate it, or at least like Emerson does. Oh. Um, it's like the ultimate example of uh, recorded because of a label obligation. Okay. So I'll, I'll read from the Wikipedia a little bit here. So, of course, they got to go to the Bahamas because they're tax exiles, as was the, sure. the trend with many bands in the 70s. So they were kind of broke from Works Volume 1 and Works Volume 2, where they were trying to incorporate an orchestra and choir like into their live set. And it was just like they were hemorrhaging millions. The, the song you're talking about, Carnival 9, at least, you know, that's on the radio that in some people's mind that can be considered kind of pop. They were getting like farther and farther away from that and pretending to be like classical composers. And mm. it, was, it was getting rough financially. They, they were getting kind of worn out themselves, too. But then they met with the president of Atlantic Records, Ahmed Erdogan, and he wanted them. He's like, you owe me another album. That They were contractually obligated for that. And then he was also like, can you make it more commercial? And Keith Emerson was like, no, but my masterworks. But they, they kind of compromised. And half of this album is, is an attempt of them trying to be more commercial again and doing like shorter mm -hmm. pop songs. And okay. Keith Emerson hates that part. And then I guess uh, side B is he got to do his wanky thing for 20 minutes and have a, a multi-part, you know, suite or whatever. Are you going to make me listen to 20 minutes? No, we're going to listen to the pop part because here, all right, okay. here, here's, here's the experiment. I've, I've teased you long enough here. Um, obviously, whatever exposure both of us have had to Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, we're not fans. But what I'm going to play is something that Keith Emerson does not like. And in the logic of George Costanza, if every instinct they have is wrong, then the opposite must be correct. Mm. And that these songs... So maybe this is in our wheelhouse. Uh, my theory, and I really wanted to listen to these songs and I've held off. My theory is that we're going to enjoy these a lot more than anything else we've heard from the bands. And that the logic will work wow. in our favor. This is a very bold thing that you're doing here i'm impressed my, my heart is racing i'm impressed uh again we we got our, our lab coats and our goggles this could, this could go yeah. awfully wrong but i'm willing to bet i'm at least going to like this more than the other stuff i've had to hear from them this is this is them just towing the line delivering pop songs good god this album cover all right well we'll get <laughs> we're gonna see, see it in a second see it. is it okay right. oh boy 
I just want to note. Can I can I make a small note? And I don't want to timestamp this episode, but yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, the Super Bowl is on tonight, and this is what we're doing. <laughs> so I just want our audience to know that. I feel it's important. <sighs> yeah, I've made I've made my okay. decision. We're sticking to it. Okay, sure. So we're gonna listen to the first song from 1978's Love Beach. The band hates this album. The fans consider this to be the low point of the band's career. I believe it made its money back, but no one was really happy. Reviewer Michael Bloom said that Love Beach isn't simply bad, it's downright pathetic. Stale and full of ennui, this album makes washing the dishes seem a more creative act by comparison. Emerson, Mr. Keyboard Whittler himself, later called the album an embarrassment against everything I've worked for. So that makes me even more sure that I'm going to get some enjoyment out of this. Oh, you got um, it open. What do you think of the, the album cover? Uh, yeah. I mean, he looks great uh, with his shirt off. <laughs> it looks like everybody is in uh, various states of undress. It's almost like, yeah, the one guy is like the furthest shirt, the furthest amount you can have a shirt open. And then the other guy in the middle is like mostly the shirt is open. And then the... the Guy to the right, it's like, yeah, it's, you know, it's, I'm going to keep my shirt closed. It's like the Verizon bars, but it's degrees of having your <laughs> your chest. Uh, dudes having, having their chests out. Yeah. yeah. Well, and if you watch performance footage of them, which I highly suggest you do not, uh, they all, you know, at least Emerson, he's always got his, his chest showing. He's got the coat that's open and nothing underneath. That's always a red flag, you know, right? Uh, I'd like to note that the first comment on YouTube says, I personally don't think this is that bad, which is not a good sign. Um, and then they say, if the cover was different, then people would take this album more seriously. Oh, so, all right. We got all kinds be, of theories uh, going yeah. on here. Yeah, the cover's got awful. It's also called Love Beach. So you're like, is this fucking Captain and Tennille? Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> this is not science fiction stuff anymore. Let's listen to the actual gosh dang song here. If I may, I'm going to hit play. This song is called All I Want Is You. Lifeless, a little more than I expected. It says like a, it's like a Ren Fair or something with synthesizers. A lot of their music sounds like a Ren Fair. This is like a lazier Ren Fair. Ah, oh, take that fucking keyboard out of there. My fave, my fave, my Oh, it's going somewhere though. Yeah. The airport straight ahead. Honestly, still better than 50% of the other stuff I listened to this week. I feel bad for you because this is this is an arduous listen right now. All right, all right. I'm cutting it off there okay. about a yeah, minute was, and a half in. You. That's 
was was like forty seconds too long of me listening. <laughs> it, it was it was hard to um, because they had the the synth wankery happening. He was just like soloing the whole time over the vocals. So wasn't right. it like yeah. clashing with? So here's the unfortunate fact about this album. Uh, so you know the little blurb at the end of the Wikipedia description here. After Greg Lake, the singer, not a bad singer. Carl uh, Palmer, the drummer. By the way, I don't blame Carl Palmer for any of this. If you just take a drummer and you tell him he can do whatever he wants, he's going to do. He's doing it. all right. Yeah, he's like, doing all right. You just, he's just going to go ham. Whatever, you know. He's doing his work. On can't the song, can't yeah. blame a drummer for for uh, exercising their instrument. But anyway, after those two finished recording their parts, they left the island. They left Love Beach, uh, and leaving Keith Emerson, the keyboardist, to finish the album himself. So I bet Keith later was like, oh, this is too pop. I'm going to do my <laughs> over it after everybody's gone so I can still have the last word. But isn't that tone and style? <laughs> like, isn't that not – like, it doesn't sound progressive to me when I hear that tone or hear that synth. It doesn't sound – I'm not thinking of, like, something heavy and complex. Mm. Like, it just sort of sounds like a, like Renfair, synth Renfair. I think – well, so he was also having problems with drugs by this time. Uh, so it's probably half-hearted effort. You know, he's he's probably still using the same instruments, but he's he's not dialing in the settings as much. But he still insists on leaving his musical mark, and he's going to put in these parts and show you how cool a guy he is on the keyboard. Uh, so yeah. there was probably a case if he got to just run amok in the studio to finish the thing and, and was making choices like that, if I had to guess. So that's... That's where my experiment fails a little bit because Keith still had the keys to the kingdom here. Yeah, your experiment really just was on fire seconds into the video. <laughs> uh, somebody else said in the comments that um, they look like they're contestants on The Bachelorette. They do if The Bachelorette took place in 1978. The necklaces, the medallions. Yeah. And the, the white pants and everything's so tight. Yeah. Yeah, this is uh, unpleasant for me. I don't really have a lot. I don't have a lot. Now, hold on, hold on. Okay. Worse than what you had to listen to at the deli or better? Uh, you know, it, it, it is worse. Like, musically, this is worse than <laughs> Carnival Night. Wow. But, like, that is just associated with um, – I had to listen to that so many – like, I don't have to listen to this twice a day. The smell of hot pastrami. And if I had to listen to this twice a day, then yes, it would be significantly worse. But I think that song has been like nailed into my brain. So um, Carnival 9 is, is worse. It's also like really long. So. <sighs> yes. Yeah. So many of these songs are just two and a half, three, three and a half minutes. That's merciful. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well... Yeah. So I, you have. So I, short. Short answer is you have not convinced me. I feel of your <laughs> argument. You have failed miserably. I feel like we should try one more, just okay. to just to just to check. Um, we got to listen to the title track, "Love Beach." Come on. Oh yes, we have to. While we're loading this, a quick uh, question for you: Is Keith Emerson responsible for the image of the rock keyboardist not really being cool? Like guitarists, um, cool. Bassists, cool. Drummers, cool. Keyboardists, eh. You know that might. You know, I as much as I 
That might be more of a Rick Wakeman thing. Uh, I mean, and I and I like some Rick Wakeman me stuff. Too. I mean, I don't like all of what he does, but like I I think he is probably like admittedly like um you know like a like a nerd. He's a like a wizard loving kind of <laughs> dude, and that's fine. But I I think that he w- was very prominent, and and I think that's when people think of keyboardists from that era, they probably think of Rick Wakeman. Was he theatrical like Emerson yes. in terms of? Like playing yeah. four different keyboards at once in a little station and like jumping around and. Well, he would come. I don't know if he was as as, as mobile as that, but I, he he would you know ha, he he had capes and oh, things of that capes. nature. I mean, he oh. sort of dressed like a, like a wizard. So yeah, I do think he was. Uh, yeah, yeah, that might be it then. The, yeah. the death knell of cool. Oh boy! All right, well. This this might be a wash, but let's try one more tune here. We're gonna try Love Beach. I'm gonna send you the link. Hopefully this will transport you to a beautiful Caribbean island. (laughs) Kind of sounds like the who. I kind of like this already. It's got a good beat. Oh, Oh, man. (laughs) That's what I mean. (laughs) Ah, boy. Ah. Well, the riff was kind of cool in the beginning. And then that synthesizer came in. This is tight. Yeah, when it's I like just that riff. yeah, when it's just the bass drums, guitar riff. Oh, I don't know if I want to go to Love Beach. Oh I, you know, th- that riff is very cool. It's, it's yeah. almost like a Stone Roses riff or something like that. All right, I will say this. You could very easily cover that song and make and it make sound it, decent. Okay. Yeah. I yeah, dare yeah, yeah. you to try to do that with any of their other songs except maybe Lucky Man. Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, I, that, that's a cool riff. That's, that's a very cool riff. And I think um, if they strip that down, that would be a cool song. And he's just going nuts over the top of it. Oh, it's God. really distracting, too. It's sort of distracting from the <laughs> what the rest of the, the people are trying to do in the band. Wait, that's ego, right? Like, what the hell is that coming in there with your goofy keyboard tones and just distracting people from the, the meat of the song? Like, Yeah, it's a riff-based song, and the riff, it ain't coming from the synth. Like, this is a guitar song. man should be put on trial for crimes against keyboards. Well, anyway, I disagree with you completely. Okay, so Love Beach, and no better than than Tarkus or freaking though trilogy. I will say that this this song, I don't know what you're talking about, but uh, <laughs> this song I feel is the closest to something that I might listen to um, if it was <laughs> if it was written, recorded, and arranged differently. But just that, just those things. Okay, well, partial win then maybe. Yeah, you could take that as a partial win. Well, I really, I'd, I'd known about this album for years, and I wrote Emerson, Lake, and Palmer off a long time ago, but I was always curious about this. So I'm like, a band that I don't like, making music they don't like, two negatives make a positive, and uh, I guess that's not so much mm. the case. It just gets worse, <laughs> I think. It's just, uh, it's an additive thing. Uh, well, I, I feel as if we have... Um, given people two subjects today that they did not ask for or want. 
Which is the sign of a successful episode, I think. We certainly covered some ground. Well, what have you learned? Instead of watching the Super Bowl, what did you learn doing this? I had very um, visceral memories of slicing ham um, and serving um, serving people cold cuts. That was the that was what I got out of your segment today. Boy, I could go for some deli food right now, though. I'll tell you. I did just I did just make myself hungry. Yeah. Do you have knishes? I don't. I wish I did. Now that you said it. Oh, you mean you mean on right, the yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you meant on me right oh, now. Do you have a knish um, at your desk right I, now? I always carry one in my front pocket yeah. just in case I get hungry. Uh, yeah, we did. We did. We didn't make them there. We we you know had them delivered in, but um, they were they were good. They were good. Second Avenue or Katz's? Uh, Katz's easily. Interesting. Okay. Well. I learned that you used to work at a deli. I find that we're going to have to circle back on that. Mm, definitely, uh, <laughs> definitely, yeah. People are the listeners are really learning a lot about me. Things they didn't even uh, know they wanted to know. Well, this is a podcast of exploration. Well, I I had fun. I'm a little more motivated than I was before to dig into some more country music. That's good. That's yeah. positive. You go, you go back enough decades. There's there's some real heartbreakers there. I yeah. I would say listen listen to listen to some Hank Williams. Listen right. to some Hank Williams. Listen to the Cold Cold Heart. I'm so lonesome. I could cry. Is one of the best songs ever written. One of the best lyrics ever. And um, yeah, just a, a tremendous uh, voice that dude had. Uh, I guess we'll see who's... This is where we say our catchphrase that we don't have This is where we say yet. catchphrase. All right. What do you think of... So uh, long, suckers. So long. <laughs> I like that Sayonara, for you. suckers. So <laughs> long, suckers. Uh, I don't know everything, but I'll listen to anything. That's okay. I feel like we could do better, but it's fine. It's a place It's, fi- it's a fine ending. All right. Well, keep keep rocking on in the free world. It sounds like Nardwar. Well, thank you so much for listening. I just wanted to quickly pop in to remind you to please rate, review, subscribe. All that good stuff helps the podcast out. See you next time.